Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and Hannah Greaser, a show that examines some of the most important cultural issues of the day and what the church should do. Hannah, I am curious. Do you think your body is important to your, quote, authentic self? Ooh. Do you think it is? Short answer, yes, because that seems like truth. But I feel like that's a topic that we could just (laughs) unpack and unpack. Um, because I never, until we started this body series, really critically thought about how to think about my body. And I definitely sometimes suffer from mind body disconnect. I don't know if you ever do that where you'll look in the mirror and just be like, this is me. This is. Oh, yes. Like- I look at that every day. I get a new or ma- new wrinkle. I'm like, is not this like me? that, though. <laughs> like more existential. But no, I, I think yes. And I'm I'm very excited to unpack that more today because I know our guest has thought about that tremendously. Yes. Well, to help us with uh, that thorny issue, I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, Dr. Nancy Piercy is the author of Love Thy Body, answering hard questions about life and sexuality, as well as a soul of science, saving Leonardo, finding truth and total truth. She is a professor and scholar in residence at Houston Baptist University. She has been highlighted as one of the top five women apologists by Christianity Today and hailed in The Economist as America's preeminent evangelical Protestant female intellectual. Dr. Piercy, welcome to Christian Curious. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So our first question, um, you know, I, I, I'm in my first semester of seminary, right? So I was, I was reading your book and loving it, and, but a lot of the concepts were new to me. And, you know, you place the arguments in Love Thy Body in the context of addressing the body-person dualism that's present in our culture today. And so... I would love for our listeners, if you could define what that dualism is and how like the body person, body soul, soul dualism is represented in culture, um, because I definitely needed that unpacked for me. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Right. Well, I'm glad you're in seminary. (laughs) Glad you're reading my book in seminary. Yes. Um, My my years in seminary were really foundational. Um, So it's a good memory. Um, Yeah. So. What people need to real, what Christians need to realize, is that to understand secular thinking, you know, to come out of the sort of Christian box and understand secular thinking, one of the main things we have to understand is that secular people have a really sharp body-person dualism, a divide, a dichotomy, whatever you want to call it. Um, and let me just give you an example, because the most extreme example is the one that's really the cutting-edge issue of our day, which is transgender. Transgender activists argue explicitly that your body has nothing to do with your gender identity, so that kids down to kindergarten, literally, are being taught. You may have boy parts, but that doesn't mean you're a boy. You may have girl parts, that doesn't mean you're a girl. 
and kids are coming home to their parents and saying, well, you know, what I, what am I, Mom? <laughs> it was actually a woman who's uh, take, taking the, taking her school to court because her daughter came home saying, um, you know, very distressed, not knowing what she was. She actually said to her mom, Mom, please take me to a doctor to find out what I am. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but you... the point is, yeah, it, there's a BBC documentary on transgenderism, and it put it very well. It said, at the heart of the debate is the idea that your mind can be at war with your body, at war with mm-hmm. your body. This is not just a dualism. This is an out-and-out hostility yeah. between the body and the mind. And, of course, in that war for the transgender person, it's the mind that wins. And so in addressing the secular world today, it turns out surprisingly that what we need to do, most of all, is recovering a high view of the body, that it, the secular world today is attacking the dignity and value of the body and saying it's not part of the authentic self. And Christians are the ones who are finding themselves in the unusual position of having to say, wait a minute, God made whole people. He made people who are both body and soul, and the body is his handiwork just as much as the soul is. And therefore, we should be valuing it. We should be saying it it has dignity, it has worth, it is the creation of God. And so... As Christians, we know to sort of reverse course, because historically, Christians have also fallen into that, right? I mean, one of my students put it this way, growing up in the church, I was always taught, spirit good, body bad. Right. Isn't that, yeah, that, when, I, when I give that example in my, in my lectures, everyone starts nodding their heads, like, yep, that's mm-hmm. what I heard my whole life. And so this is kind of a course reversal for Christians to realize, whoa, to address the secular world adequately today, we have to realize they actually have an even lower view of the body, and it's up to us to say, no, 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 no. the Christian ethic on questions like transgenderism is actually based on a very high view of the body. So I'm glad you, I'm absolutely delighted that you're doing this series. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, as you, you know, right before you made that final point, I was you know, thinking about how ironic it is, and perhaps there's some form of connection down the line that I'm not thinking about at the moment, but we live in a highly materialistic um, culture. And by materialistic, I mean, you know, evidence of things that we see that we can touch with the five senses. And yet we minimize the body, which is the part of us that we is, is, is accept is accessible through the five senses. So Secular people say, okay, we're materialistic and all that matters is that which can be, you know, um, acknowledged through the five senses. And yet at the same time, they're minimizing the body even more than Christians who deeply denigrate the body. Yeah, and it's actually connected, which is interesting. Um, People sometimes ask me, well, uh, you know, why does secular culture devalue the body? And the answer goes all the way back to, well, to to the rise of modern science, but especially Charles Darwin. Because Darwin essentially said, the body is a product of mindless, purposeless forces, and therefore it has no intrinsic purpose that we are morally obligated to respect. And so even though the materialist worldview says matter is all that exists, that doesn't mean they have a high view of matter. It still means that for them, matter is a purposeless, uh, mindless, 
product of random random uh, forces. So, and, and let me give you an example of that. So, there's a well-known public intellectual whose name is Camille Paglia, and she's uh, a lot of Christians read her stuff because she's a bit of an iconoclastic feminist. She does not think that social that uh, that that uh, sexuality is just a social construction. She says, no, no, no. Nature made us male and female. Humans are a sexually reproducing species. But, and here's, and here's where your question comes in, but, she says, uh, our, our bodies are product of mindless material forces. So why should we respect them? Why should we take our identity from them? Why not, the word she actually uses is defy. Why defy nature? And then, uh, this is an exact quote. She says, fate not God has given us this flesh. We have absolute claim to our bodies and may do with them as we see fit. And so she's a lesbian, and that's how she um, justifies being a lesbian. She, she says nature made us male and female, but we can define nature because, after all, it's just a product of mindless material forces. So that's the logic that um, explains your question, which otherwise, you know, I, I, I appreciate your question because it's very, it's very um, puzzling for Christians to say, wait a minute, these secular people are materialists who say matter is all that exists. But what the, the logic is, if the, if the body, if nature itself and therefore the body is a product of mindless forces, then it has no intrinsic purpose. And Camille is pugly is right. You can do with it as you see fit. And what we need to do as Christians is argue that, wait a minute, no, nature is not the product of mindless forces. Nature exhibits a design, a plan, an order, a purpose. And our argument is that when you live in harmony with that purpose, you actually will be happier and healthier. In, in my book, Love Thy Body, I give lots of anecdotes and stories. And one of my favorite stories is a young woman who did live as a lesbian for several years, um, and today is married and has two children. And in an article she wrote, she said, I finally came to trust that God had made me female for a reason, and I wanted to honor my body by living in accord with the Creator's design. Yeah. Mm. So that's the, that's the, the Christian answer is that actually the secular view has a low view of the body, and it is Christians who are saying, whoa, we need to respect the body, honor the body, live in accord with the Creator's design, respect our biological sex, you know, live in congruence, you know, have, have, a, have an inner integration of body and person. So it's really a very positive message, and, and that's what makes it unique. Well, you know, one we, of... now have, we now have a way to make a positive message instead of just saying it's wrong it's like on homosexuality here with with camille paglia we don't just say it's wrong it's against the bible it's a sin don't do it right mm -hmm. that's sort of what we're known for but instead we have the opportunity to make a positive message that the christian ethic is based on valuing and honoring the body hmm. well you know and as part of my testimony i've grappled a lot with uh body image and you know in my teens eating disorders and I thought a lot about the body and I often when I'm speaking to people or when I'm teaching I will talk about the incarnation as the perfect doctrine to talk about the importance of the body 
because if the body wasn't important, then God would not have to have come down and take on human flesh and live within that human body and still dwell within that human body. I mean, it's that important. I mean, I don't know. I say it all the time, but the incarnation makes me feel a little bit claustrophobic about God Hmm. entering into a human body. But the incarnation and that teaching of the value of the body can directly come from that fundamental doctrine of the church. Exactly. In many ways, you know, Christians who, who have lost that sense, Christians who say, you know, spirit, good, body, bad, have lost our own heritage. And that's really sad because our, well, it, it starts with creation. It starts with creation because the early church was born into a culture, a Greek, Greek and Roman culture that devalued the material world just as modern secularism does, although for very different reasons. The early church was facing philosophies like Platonism and Gnosticism that treated this world as the realm of evil and corruption. In fact, Gnosticism even taught that it was a low-level deity, an evil god who created this world, Hmm. because no self-respecting god would demean himself by mucking about with matter. So... In this historical context, Christianity was nothing short of revolutionary, because it started by saying the material world was created by by the supreme deity, who is a good God, and therefore it is intrinsically good. And the fall does not fully negate that. The fall is like you know a child who comes up to a famous painting like the Mona Lisa, and uh, you know makes some black marks on it. It may deface the painting, but it does not totally. Uh, erase the beauty of that painting, and that's the Christian view on creation, is that, mm. is that you, we still kind of detect the beauty of God's creation even after the fall. But you are c- completely right that at, uh, in the early church, the ultimate scandal was the claim that that same supreme deity who made the world had entered into the realm of matter and taken on a body. So the incarnation was the ultimate affirmation of the dignity of the human body. Uh-huh. Uh, but when, um, when Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross, he escaped the body, which is what Gnosticism taught we should aspire to do. It, it said that salvation consisted of escape from the body. So Jesus did that. <laughs> but what did he do then? He, he came, came back. back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got With it. With scars on his hands. He <laughs> That's right, with scars on his hands. He came back in a, bo- in, in a human body. For the ancient Greeks, this was not spiritual progress. Hmm. Wow. This was, this was regress. One of the things they used to say was, why would anyone want to come back to the realm of the body? As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, this was utter foolishness to the Greeks. Wow. And of course, at the end of time, what is God going to do? He's not going to scrap the material world as if he made a mistake the first time around. He's going to renew it and restore it and create a new heavens a new, and a new earth. So from the beginning, the Apostles' Creed has affirmed the resurrection of the body. The resurrection this is an astonishingly of the high view of the physical body. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> there is no other religion or philosophy that teaches such a high view of the human body. And that's what Christians need to re- rediscover. That's so good. I love uh, I love your ability to draw connections between everything. And 
in the book, you make this claim that there's a common thread, a common connection between issues like euthanasia, abortion, transgenderism, and even the environmental movement. And so I'm curious about what this common thread is and what Christianity or the gospel can speak to that. Yeah, well, let me start with abortion. Um, what many people don't realize, you know, Christians are still arguing that the fetus is human, and they don't realize secular bioethicists have already acknowledged that. They acknowledge that life begins at conception. They say the fetus is human from conception. The evidence from science, from DNA and genetics, is just too strong to deny it. So how do they defend abortion then? What they say, what secular bioethicists say, is that being human is not enough to qualify for legal protection. The fetus has to earn the right to life, so to speak, by becoming a person. And so personhood is defined typically in terms of mental abilities, a certain level of self-awareness, cognitive, cognitive functioning, and so on. So see what the implication is? It's basically saying you can be biologically human. You can have a human body and still not be a person. As long as you're just a body, you are a disposable piece of matter. You know, the, the fetus can be killed for any reason or for no reason. It can be used for research and experiments. It can be tainted with genetically. It can be picked through for sellable body parts, as plan, Planned Parenthood does, and then tossed out with the other medical waste. And that's how medical journals actually refer to the fetus as medical waste. So being human is no longer enough for human rights. It's actually called personhood theory. Well, you know, actually, as you're describing that, um, you know, just some of the the ways and the phrases that you used. I mean, I've studied a lot about um, the Holocaust and mm. the way that they treated human bodies there are very similar to the way you describe abortion as this is just material that we just need to get rid of. And so they would send them to, you know, the stacks where they would be burned and just the disregard for human life. I mean, much of what you just said could be applied to that situation, and we can all agree that that was a horrendous act. Exactly. The, the, the distinction or the dichotomy between being human and being a person is the issue. So the, the, the Nazis decided that certain races were not human. Uh, excuse me. They were human, but they were not persons. Mm -hmm. And that's what Christians need to get their mind around, is that uh, just as Camille Paglia says, you know, why, why should my body decide who I am as a person? You know, as a transgender activist says, why should my biological sex determine who I am as a person? All of these are drawing a distinction between being a human and being a person. Mm -hmm. And what I have found interesting is um, among my secular friends, you mentioned the argument from uh, environmentalism. So I, I want to make sure I cover that. This was really quite a surprise to me because in my book, Love Thy Body, I did not make it a, a major argument. But since then, I have found that it's, it's an argument that secular people really resonate with. Mm -hmm. um, what we've learned from the environmental movement is that to avoid pollution and ecological disasters, we need to respect the structure of nature. You know, we can intervene, but when we do, 
we must work with the natural order. Um, we may not do as we see fit. Do you remember that's what Camille Paglia said hmm. when she talked about uh, homosexuality? She said, we can do with our bodies as we see fit. Well, we know we can't do as we see fit when it comes to the environment. Well. So in the same way, what Christians are saying is that we should respect our own biological nature. That the correspondence between male and female is not some evolutionary accident. It's part of the original creation hmm. that God pronounced very good. And so, you know, when I talk to a secular person and I say, you know, just as we should respect that tree or that river and not dump pollutants into it, they say, oh, I get it. I, it's a, you know, it's amazing to me that hmm. this argument has has the response I get is, oh, I get it. We should respect our body. It has its own fundamental purpose, um, and we need to be, and we need to respect that purpose. No, that makes sense. Um, I never. That's definitely something to chew on the layered truth between understanding the order of the environmental movement and the order of our own human bodies. That's so fascinating, and I definitely want to ask um, just from all of this thought and research you've put into Love Thy Body and surrounding work. What have you come to learn about what it means to actually have an embodied faith? Like, how do you translate this knowledge to action in day-to-day -day life? Well, let me give you um, an example. This example came out after my book, Love Thy Body, so it's not in there. Um, and this was a young woman who uh, was interviewed in a, very, in a very secular, liberal publication, and she, um, she had... Been a, she had identified as a transgender boy for three years, um, and she was she was only fourteen. So she had she had uh, identified as a boy at age eleven, and then re-embraced her identity as a girl at age fourteen. And what she said was, and this is her exact quote, she said, "I came to realize that it was not conversion therapy to learn to love your body." It would have been a great quote for a book <laughs> yeah. titled Love Thy Body. So I thought this was interesting that even the secular world is starting to realize that transgenderism rests on a denigration, a rejection, a denial of the body. In fact, you'll start, if you watch, uh, you know, if you're following on Twitter and social media, you'll see that even secular people are starting to say that transgenderism involves body hatred. It will say it's body hatred. So this is the primary message we have for, for Christians today. Is and, Oh, and, and this was even part of a Supreme Court decision. Do you realize that last June we did have a Supreme Court decision saying that Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act, um, which said we should not, uh, employers could not discriminate on the basis of sex. The court decided that included sexual orientation and gender identity. And there was an excellent article in the Wall Street Journal that said, this is not a question of law, this is a question of philosophy. Basically, you, what you are saying in this, in this uh, decision is that your identity, it, this was a case where it was a biological male who identified as a woman. And by taking, the side, taking that person's side, basically the court was embracing the idea 
that your body is not part of your authentic self, to use that term again. That is, the body has nothing to do with who you are and that your gender identity is purely arbitrary. It's something that's purely up to you. That's a philosophy. That's not a matter of law. So what we do as Christians, oh, and I appreciate you talking about an eating disorder. What I have discovered is that many people are reading my book, Love Thy Body, who are not wrestling with the moral issues I deal with there, like abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism. The first time I realized that people were using it more broadly for just, you know, learning to have a high view of the body as a Christian, was one of my students, a graduate student, who had a teenage girl. And she said, I'm going through this book with my daughter because she had a severe eating disorder. She was actually hospitalized for a while because her eating disorder was so extreme. And she was going page by page through my book, Was Thy Body, with her daughter. Hmm. Because she wow. said, I realized I was not teaching her that her body had value and dignity, that it's the handiwork of God. And therefore, you know, she, she should be treating her body. Uh, you know, she should have a high view of the body. So uh, I, I've, I've, I've talked to other people who... Um, uh, had been sexually molested and as a result had um, difficulty with their body or women who were obese, who were overweight and are having difficulty with their body. Right. So it's amazing to me. I didn't exactly write it with that audience in mind, mm-hmm. but it has been picked up and is being read, read by people who are having all kinds of different um, issues associated with the body and they're finding that it's it, that it is helpful for them in a, a, having a more biblical view of the body as God's handiwork, part of God's creation, and as you put it earlier, the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Right. All of these things affirm the dignity and value of the body in a Christian worldview. Well, listeners, if you have not picked up a copy of Dr. Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, you can find it pretty much wherever Ever, wherever, ever, <laughs> wherever books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Piercy, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I appreciate your, you know, your openness about your own eating disorder. That, you know, that that kind of personal openness is really valuable. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Piercy. You've been listening to Christian Curious. Be sure to check out our website for more episodes and to learn more about us. Reach out to us anytime with your comments or questions to Haley at ChristianCurious.co or Hannah at ChristianCurious.co. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at ChristianCurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at ChristianCurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.